But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the word of the Lord. Well, here we are on the first Sunday of Advent. It marks the beginning of a new church year. Advent is the season of preparation covering the four Sundays before Christmas Day. It is a season of preparation for us and expectation of what God is doing in our midst. Now, if you read through the Gospel of Matthew, where we were reading this morning, when you get to this 24th chapter, you realize that the whole chapter is about the coming of the Son of Man or the end of the age. It talks about signs about the ends of the age and persecutions that will come, suffering that will happen, conflicts that will break out. And then we get to this passage where we are reading about the necessity for watchfulness. That even though this whole chapter has these apocalyptic readings as we know them, mostly coming out of the Hebrew Scriptures and the book of Daniel about the end of the age, there is a lesson here for us beyond just waiting for the end of the age to come. When people begin to think about the end time or the end of the age, they often get caught up in asking when, when will this happen? And our text says, as to that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. But despite this warning, there are Christian leaders that spend their lives trying to tell you, now is the time, this is it, I know when. But you know what? Those who have been predicting that have been doing so for 2,000 years, and so far, Every one of them, each and every one of them have been wrong. This text says, no one knows. And so if you take this literally and begin to think it's happening right now, I think it distracts you from the real practice of your faith. Hence, what I think is the wisdom here and the counsel of this text, which is we will do better and be more faithful to turn our attention to preparation. Are we prepared? Are we ready? The season of Advent raises that question for us and counsels us to prepare our lives because God may come at any time, even though no one knows which time. If you're taking it literally and thinking it's right now, I think you're focused on the external. Another reading would be to focus on the internal and to believe that this text is teaching us how to live our Christian lives right now, believing that God is omnipresent, that is, everywhere, all the time. 
that means God can break into our lives in unique and unusual and special ways anytime we have the eyes of faith to see God at work. Awe, A-W-E, is our ability to experience God in profound ways in all kinds of circumstances. The Bible is full of stories of people experiencing God in a whole variety of ways, not just waiting for the end time. Sometimes it's talked about as the fear of the Lord. Sometimes the glory of the Lord or the fear of God. Sometimes just the overwhelming awesomeness of being in the presence of the Holy Reverend Kathy Leitner is our United Methodist pastor over at Cushing. She's a former United Methodist district superintendent. She had occasion to take an adventure to Alaska. She was in the Katmai National Park and Preserve, 7,000 square miles of wilderness full of streams flowing here and there, a glacier mountains, volcanoes, and many, many bears. She went with a small group. She said they had to weigh us all because we were taking some small backpacks for the day. We had all put on waders because we knew we would be fording streams and made sure the weight was right because we were getting on two small Cessna airplanes to fly to even get to the national park. She said we landed on the beach. They were really clear about the instructions when we're walking through this national park, walk in single file. Do not stray from the group. Whenever we stop, clump together, kneel down. We do not want to intimidate or threaten the bears for their safety and for ours. So she said we began to hike and we came over a berm and there was one of the most beautiful landscapes she had ever seen. She said Mount Denison is in the background, the hollow glacier and the hollow valley just wide open before them and sure enough bears everywhere they hiked down across a stream through some tall grass and then situated themselves near a bear they could see that was feeding on some sages along a stream she said before long here came another bear they would look at each other kind of sit down entwine their necks kind of snuggled and one would get up and go eat and move on she said, we all clump very still, just marveling at the sunlight in the afternoon, bringing out the gold and their fur, glinting off the ice and the snow and the glacier. She said, we hiked further, then we heard something coming in the brush. We stopped to see this bear kind of come over the ridge right down to the stream. Huge paws, long claws began to excavate the side of the stream, looking for clams, and then when finding them, crunching them with their powerful jaws she said it was an awesome sight but the bear continued to feed and come right toward us she said finally it was just 15 feet from us we were still and kneeling and marveling at this wonder in our midst she said then we moved on a little later bears everywhere all afternoon she said, we were just seeing bears. She said, so often when we were kneeling, I would be looking at one bear, then I'd see a movement. I would look and see, oh, there's another, and there's another. And my mind would race, let's go over there, let's go over there. But she said, I knew I was supposed to stay still and quiet. And she said, then a lesson from one of her teachers in prayer came to her. Be here now. 
be quiet. Be present. She said, oh, how often our minds and our lives race into the future and we miss the wonder and grace that is all around us in the present moment. She said by the end of the day, she was ready to change the spelling of the valley. Instead of H-A-L-L-O, she said, how about H-A-L-L-O-W, Hallow Valley? She said it was a holy place to be. Awe is our ability to recognize God at work in the world. Often we see it in natural beauty. As Christians, we say we can see God at work in natural beauty, but we also proclaim we can see God at work at the under, other end of the spectrum in chaos and conflict and violence or persecutions and sufferings, as Matthew says. Can you see God at work there as well? Sometimes a little harder to see God's work in the mundane or in the midst of conflict or trouble or problems. But Matthew here tells us that Jesus reminded us about Noah and how because of the awe or the experience of God, he was seen as odd, O-D-D. He began to build a big boat on dry land. And sure enough, his neighbors thought he was odd, but he was listening to the voice of God, believing that God was calling him to live in a different way. Have you ever heard that call of God in your life? One of you sent me an email recently that I think can help us here. It was about a football game. The game was between Grapevine Faith Academy and the Gainesville State School. Now, the Gainesville State School is inside a penitentiary. These are teenagers who have been locked up in prison. Not much family support. Perhaps not a very functional family at all. But at any rate, they had made enough bad decisions to end up in prison. But they had a football team, just 14 of them. They were 0 and 8. All their games were on the road. You understand. <laughs> they had outdated equipment and uniforms, but at least they got to go on the road and play. On this particular Friday night, they were supposed to play this Christian Academy, Grapevine Faith Academy, a Christian high school. They had 70 players on the team, 11 coaches, all the latest equipment, plenty of support from parents and family. And their coach, Chris Hogan, the week before the game, had an idea, knowing that there would probably be no one in the stands for the other boys. He floated this idea out here that they divide up. And for this one night only that they send half of the band and half of the cheerleaders and half of the spectators and supporters and fans to the other side to cheer for these boys who would be coming. Now, some people thought he was nuts, and they said, now, what are you suggesting? And he said, here's the message I want to send. You are just as valuable as any other person on the planet. One of the players says, I, I don't get it. And he said, well, imagine this. You have no home life. You have no supportive parents. You don't believe that anyone believes in you anymore. You don't have a sense of love or care or support in your life. Then imagine showing up to the game Friday night 
and having the stands full of people cheering for you. Well, the idea began to take hold and people began to get organized and sure enough, by the start of the game, the guest stands were just as full as the home stands were. And sure enough, when these 14 players come running out, there was a big banner for them to run through saying, we're with you. And half the cheerleaders were on their side and the band was playing for them and people were cheering for them. They couldn't believe it. Isaiah, who was the quarterback and the middle linebacker, said, you know, usually when we come out, you can see it in their eyes. People are afraid of us. But not tonight. These people were cheering for us. They were yelling for us by name. He said, I never thought I would hear a bunch of parents screaming for me to knock their kid down. <laughs> well, the game went on, and sure enough, it wasn't much of a contest. Faith Academy won, but at the end of the game, all the players gathered at the 50-yard line. They gathered there for prayer. The Faith Academy boys were ready to pray, but about then Isaiah, the teenage convict, quarterback, middle linebacker, raised his hand, said, may I pray? Everyone was surprised, but they said, sure. As they bowed in prayer, he began, Lord, I don't know what just happened here. So I don't know who to thank or how to thank them. But we are so grateful. We cannot believe that there are this many people who still believe in us. That still will cheer for us. Who know us by our name. After they finished their prayer, Gainesville State School players got up, headed for the bus under guard. But there were the Faith Academy students again. They had a burger and french fries and a Coke and a Bible and encouraging letters from players on the opposite team, encouraging them, saying, we are with you. We believe in you. We are praying for you. I think Coach Hogan experienced the prompting of God in his life.